Did you know that according to the Graveyard Shift, Steven Spielberg believes he once owned a haunted copy of Paranormal Activity? Uh, as the legend says that while he was watching the film in his house, his bedroom door shut and locked from the inside. He reportedly had to call a locksmith to escape. That's an interesting little tidbit from the Graveyard Shift over on Instagram, if you guys follow or have an Instagram account. All kinds of interesting little things they post over there. However, uh, welcome to another episode of the Gonzo Chronicles, apparently the home of the weird and the wild. Um, today is June 29th. We were, man, I can't believe that half of this year is freaking gone by now. But I wanted to go ahead and record another episode before the month is over with. It's been about a week and a half since I jumped on here and recorded a podcast. But I, as I said earlier on Facebook, tune in tonight. And, well, lo and behold, here close to 9.30, I managed to uh, sign on and hit record. And, uh, hey, we're just going to talk off the cusp, right? Off the cuff. Whatever. Whatever the hell it is. Anyway, um... Man, this week, you know, I've realized that two of my very favorite movies over the last, say, like, I don't know, about quite a few years, but two of my favorite movies since the 2000s started, uh, Anchorman, freaking hilarious. Um, it took me forever before I watched Anchorman 2, and I have no idea why. Somebody actually had to buy it for me and send it to me before I got around to watching it. Um, that's funny, as much as I loved Anchorman 1. And another thing, I loved um, Zombieland. Great movie. Funny, you know, kind of clever, witty. It's a new take. Something new in the middle of all this, uh, the people shoving zombie films and shows down your throats. Like everything was zombies for a while. And that got really, really old. But Zombieland was kind of a nice, refreshing movie. Now, Double Tap has been out for a while, Zombieland 2. I have still yet to see this movie. I have no idea why. Um, kind of weird that I've waited so long, but uh, eventually I'll get around to it. Another little piece of information I thought was kind of interesting from the Graveyard Shift, that in 1979, Scooby-Doo, the cartoon, was on the verge of cancellation. I had no idea. It was always one of my favorite cartoons growing up. Uh, the creators knew they needed to shake up the series in order to keep it on the air. Enter Scrappy-Doo. Well, that makes sense. Every time a show is starting to get stale, they put a kid on there. Um, enter Scrappy-Doo, the plucky, outspoken, and hot-headed nephew of the titular Great Dane. Titular. <laughs> kind of like that word. Uh, though he was popular for a time, the, the hatred for this pup becomes so intense, there's only one direction that the character could go. And then there's a picture right next to it showing it turned into some, like, hybrid demon dog or something. I don't know. I don't remember that episode. I will take the graveyard shift's word for it. Um, but there's all kinds of really interesting uh, information uh, in that in that movie, um, or on, on in, not in that movie, but on that website on Facebook or on uh, Instagram. And uh, so, yeah, just just really creepy stuff uh, all around on there. And hillbilly horror stories. They actually put some really interesting stuff too. Um, you know, the other day, something popped into my mind, and I actually texted a couple of people to ask them about this. Could they remember what their earliest memory was? 
And I'll let you know, and, and I'll toss that out to you listening. What, what was your earliest memory? Was it a good one or a bad one? Something when you were two or three? I remember I was two years old. I know it was before I was three because we lived in a place that got flooded and had to move on my third birthday. Um, but I remember this toy um, that friends of the family brought in for me. It was one of those, like this, kind of like the horse you would kind of ride at, at when you go to the dollar store, dime store, whatever the hell you would go to. But it was like it had these springs attached to it, and I would just hop up and down, and it made this god-awful noise. It was so loud. I remember jumping up and down on that and having such a great time, then like catching the look from my dad, who did not like the noise. Um, I remember that was like my earliest memory that I could think of. Um, and I ran across this thing also on the graveyard shift. One of Stephen King's earliest memories is of him mashing his bare toes with a cinder block. When he was just four, he witnessed an accident on the train tracks that was so traumatizing he blocked it out. And perhaps strangest of all, one night with a demented babysitter, uh, locked him in the closet and covered him in vomit. I mean, that's that's another weird thing that I don't know, man. People have to some things we block out of our minds, you know. Um, here's another one: Clive Barker's grandmother loved to tell stories of death and despair, instilling in the boy both a fear and a fascination with the macabre. But it was his grandfather's souvenir from World War II that heavily influenced Barker's most celebrated work. And I guess that would be Hellraiser. I guess there was a box. Uh, there was. Uh, they don't really give much of an explanation when they post these things, which is kind of a pain in the ass, but um, I guess you're kind of forced to go look stuff up on your own. But, yeah, if you're on Instagram, follow me on there, too. I do post up some pictures of whatever I'm looking at in nature. <laughs> so this week, a um, couple things. There's a lot of UFO information came out. Um, but, you know, a friend of mine, Heidi, sent me this story that just blew my mind. And, you know, Heidi Gaz, she's a friend of the show here. She sent me a link, sent me this story that I had to look this up, and, and I found it. And this is from... Uh, the from a actually AOL Daily News Nelson Oliviera from June 24th 2021 cops break up exorcism of dead trees at Pennsylvania Home Depot now when you read a headline like that if it didn't say Pennsylvania in it I would swear to God I would think it was Florida <laughs> but nonetheless here we are here we are so let me read this article to you uh, police broke up an exorcism in the lumber aisle of a home improvement store in northeast Pennsylvania this week, authorities said. Cops were, uh, were responding to a report of disorderly people at the Home Depot in Dixon City, a Lackawanna County community about four miles north of Scranton, when they found a group performing an apparent exorcism for the dead trees in the lumber aisle, according to a police blotter shared on Facebook. The alleged exorcists were escorted out of the building without further incident. No additional details have been released as no charges have been filed. The bizarre investigation happened around 3 p.m. Monday after a report of bad behavior inside the store, local news station WBRE reported. That makes me wonder, what kind of charges would you file? <laughs> you know, um... I wouldn't exactly call it disorderly conduct because there's, 
an apparent order to exorcism. If you watch the movies, you know. I, speaking of that, I got a funny meme sent to me earlier today. It was that picture of the uh, the movie picture of the exorcist, you know, when it's the fog and the priest standing under the light, you know, outside of the house. But only it wasn't the priest. It was Ash from the Evil Dead, and he had a shotgun in one hand and a and a you know chainsaw attached to him for the other. I thought that that's hilarious. I said if this was reality, that story would have ended differently or something. It was anyway, pretty funny stuff. Pretty funny stuff. So uh, another thing I wanted to kind of bring up was all this um, news that's been dropped about UFOs. And um, I wanted to, uh, I, know, I know there's probably so many people that have looked up all this information. I'm not going to go through a lot of stuff because I wanted to keep this episode uh, brief. But um, I did find an interesting commentary that was just written uh, earlier this month by a guy named Jim Sullivan. Uh, and this is from WBUR.org. And uh, the title of this is, The U.S. Government Says UFOs Are Real, and So Do I. And I'll, I'll post this up on the uh, Gonzo Chronicles Facebook page, so you'll have that to take a look at. Um, but I want to read just a little bit of this, uh, and then I'll uh, post that up. I'm, I won't read the whole thing. It says here, I'm finally publicly coming out of the closet, the UFO closet. I'll say this as simply as I know how. In 1972, when I was a 16-year-old high school student in Orano, Maine, I saw a UFO. I've occasionally told friends what I saw that night, but I haven't spoken about it much because, well, I worried people would roll their eyes. I didn't want people thinking I was delusional or I'd watched too many episodes of The X-Files. Of course, I did watch Mulder and Scully a fair amount in the 90s, but I was most definitely not delusional. I saw what I saw, an unidentified flying object. My story doesn't have anything to do with little green men, alien abduction, or anything terrifying. Actually, it's rather astounding and mundane at the same time. There was a sense of wonder and awe, but no overt drama or panic, and it was all over in about 10 seconds. The prompt to tell my tale now, events that have recently crashed mainstream news media, namely a piece on 60 Minutes in mid-May and a massive investigative story in the, New York, in the New Yorker by Gideon Lewis Krauss, and that title was called How the Pentagon Started Taking UFOs Seriously. Uh, the subhead of the New Yorker piece reads, For decades, flying saucers were a punchline, then the U.S. government got over the taboo, and it's that tagline about the U.S. government's recognition that's key here. For, year, for years, it's been denial and obfuscation. The implicit suggestion that anyone reporting such phenomenon was crazy. Former Nevada Senator Harry Reid has talked about how the government has, for all these years, covered up everything. It's very, very bad for our country, Harry Reid said. That's a quote from him. And there's a, there's a link here, not a link, but a video you can click on the 60 Minutes thing. I'm going to scroll down a little bit because um, I'm going to get past his testimony and just kind of get down to uh, down here at the bottom. And it says, five years ago, I read Ben Mesrick's persuasive 37th parallel. You know him from Bring Down the House and the Accidental Billionaires. A skeptic by nature, Mesrick wrote, I discovered an enormous amount of evidence pointing to the possibility 
that we have been visited at least once in the past century. At the very least, there have been multiple cover-ups involving UFO events at places such as Roswell, New Mexico, and Rendlesham Forest in the UK. <clears throat> and then the article goes on to say, the commentary says, it didn't hurt believers when Barack Obama affirmed the possibility. And this is a quote from Obama. There's footage and records of objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are. We can't explain how they move, their trajectory. They did not have an easily explainable pattern. And so, you know, I think that people still take seriously trying to investigate and figure out what that is. And then the writer of the article, the commentary goes on to say, I'm partial to scientists, uh, novelist Jacques Vallée's theory that these sightings may involve visitations from other dimensions that coexist separately alongside our own. I also tend to think these visitors do not have hostile intents. As minds greater than mine have hypothesized, if they're thousands of times more advanced than we are, chances are they'd be able to wipe us out in an instant should they desire to, or that we are to them as ants are to us, an organized society to be studied. <clears throat> Regardless, an unclassified Pentagon report about what the government knows about all this is expected early as this month, which was just dropped last week, in other words. Um, according to reporting in New York Magazine, it will be the most direct and substantive account of unidentified aerial phenomena ever made public by the U.S. government. Now, that being said, these reports, <coughs> if you go to theblackvault.com, a lot of this was actually put on... Uh, on that site, they've, they've updated, they update that all the time. And the problem is a lot of people who actually started pouring through these reports were fairly disappointed with um, what they saw. There were some nuggets of good things in there, but there's so much to be um, studied and went through that it will take time for people who are serious in the ufology world to... Um, You know, I guess go through thousands and thousands of documents, thousands of pages, quickly and efficiently and immediately, like a lot of people would like. Because you know, we're a society we want to hear right now. But the interesting thing I took away from that commentary is the mention of Jacques Vallée and uh, possibility of parallel dimensions. Um, that was a, an interesting theory. Um, well, more than a theory, I think people, quite a few people, have subscribed to this before. If you think about the, the movie on Netflix that show Stranger Things, well, that's the entire concept of parallel dimensions and opening portals. Now, Jacques Vallée, I've mentioned, who I've mentioned on this show before, some of his work, um, was really big into that, that theory. And earlier today, uh, I was actually listening to a podcast called Truth Be Told. And I, yeah, I tune that one in from time to time when I see a topic that I, that I like. And I can't recall the guest, but you can go look the, the show up and maybe find the episode. Uh, the, the guy who was their guest said that uh, these aliens or these creatures, they don't fly hundreds of millions of miles away to come here. Why would anybody go through that much trouble for travel? That he subscribed in the theory of portals, <clears throat> which, you know, is really well actually just incredibly fascinating um, because 
recently I heard uh, from a friend of mine who had done some research on this, and I'll have to find his source, but you know he's, he's a trusted person. So he was doing research on this and read that uh, J. Allen Hynek himself, and if you don't know the name J. Allen Hynek, he's the guy who did Project Blue Book. And um, he even said that if these things were interdimensional, that he actually said that they were they would be demons. So this comes from somebody who studied from Roswell on through the 50s and you know, 60s all these sightings. And the fact that somebody that high profile would say that, um, yeah, really, really says a lot about um, what other kinds of theories could be out there other than just your traditional little green men coming from outer space. You know, how do they get here? And I think from a military perspective or a scientific perspective, um, the, the, the why would not be the first question I would ask. How did they get here? Because that would absolutely revolutionize travel um, and put our technology light years ahead of where we are now. And over the 20th century up till now, um, the last 100 years, our technology has just grown by like leaps and bounds like nothing before in history this it's incredible that you know in, in a time span of 100 years we went from you know horse and buggy <laughs> to get around uh and train to um cars that now you can let go of the steering wheel they'll parallel park themselves and google and other uh, others are uh, building self-driving cars the stuff with te that tesla's doing you know, it, I, who knows how long it'll take before technology has what's called like a hover car, like we've seen Luke Skywalker use in the first Star Wars movie. I mean, how, how cool would that be? Would you even have to build, save so much money on roads and highways by just having stacks in the air of like, you know, mark off the air above is like highways above and below. And it's just absolutely fascinating what technology can do. And like I said, I think that says a lot. Um, this interdimensional hypothesis, though, I want to kind of jump into that just for a second. Um, what that is, it's, so it, people refer to it as IDH or IH. It's uh, ufologists, like, like I said, Jacques Vallée, um, claim that unidentified flying objects are now, they're called UAPs, uh, and related events involve visitations from other realities or dimensions that coexist separately alongside our own. It is not necessarily an alternative to the uh, ET hypothesis, you know, that they're flying here. Um, these don't have to necessarily be mutually exclusive, according to this theory. Um, however, interdimensional hypothesis also holds that UFOs are a modern manifestation of a phenomenon that has occurred throughout recorded history, which in prior ages were ascribed to mythological or supernatural creatures, according to Wikipedia. And there's just a little bit here on it. Um, you know, some people say that maybe these were our time machines from the future and that the creatures that are coming back are actually us. Um, and, you know, people who go missing in the present are actually in the future. That's interesting, I mean, to think about, but, you know. It's kind of tough to wrap your head around when you, um, you know, you have we have science as we know it, 
what's possible and what's not, you know. Anyway, very interesting stuff. Thought I would toss that out there. What do you guys think? Is it interdimensional? Is it more like Stranger Things and something evil is coming through? Or is it just, you know, some curious alien from a world far advanced in ours that found a portal, popped right in here, and then landed on Earth to see what's, hey, what's going on? Maybe I've joked around before. Maybe we have the best beaches in the galaxy. Hey, you know, vacation time. Anybody can fit into Vegas. You've been out, you've been out to Alien Con? Yeah. All right. Hey, another thing I said I was going to do earlier in my video on Facebook was I wanted to read a little uh, section out of my first comedy book called Pot of Gold. Now, I've, been to, I've talked about this book like way a long time ago. I think I mentioned it in one episode. This is a book. Man, this book actually freaking saved my life. Um, I was in a horrible depression when I wrote this book. So it kind of helped me work my way through things and kind of find my sense of humor again, you know, and and think a little bit more, I don't know, out of the darkness. So I'm going to read the back of it to you, and then there's a little section that I'm going to read on page 80, which is out of chapter 12. I'll give you a little run-up to what's going on so you don't feel like totally lost. But here's the back. Life pretty much sucks for JD. Overworked, living paycheck to paycheck, his cheating wife divorced him, his car is a pile of junk that barely starts, and he's only in his mid-twenties. While slaving at his dead-end job, he finds out that his father died, a man he never knew. However, he leaves behind a challenge for J.D., one that he can't refuse. J.D. recruits his best friend, as they pack for a trip of a lifetime. They set out in search of history, wisdom, and some frosty cold ones, toss in a lousy dancer, a restless nerdy ghost, and a Sasquatch encounter, a UFO sighting, and two angry mobsters trying to kill them, <clears throat> and you have one hell of a raucous cross-country adventure. This is an awesome book cover. Uh, this was done by Gary Quapis, and I've had him on the show. You guys probably know him from Marvel Comics, doing Savage Sword of Conan. This guy's got a lot of work he's done. Um, if you love the book cover... Actually, he's done my Gonzo Chronicles and Revelation Calling covers, too. Um, go check out GaryKComicArt.com. That guy has got... It's called Rebel Dead Revenge. And it's, that is... It's a big, huge comic marathon. But it is... It, um, it's a very serious story. It's a comic book. But, um, man, what a, what a ride. Go, go get that. You, you won't regret it. So this is chapter 12. This is J.D. and his buddy Pete. They pick up this girl, this lousy dancer mentioned on the back, Sarah, who's trying to escape some bad juju herself. Uh, so anyway, they end up in New Orleans, and uh, they're on this cross-country trek. They're in New Orleans, and uh, Sarah and Pete uh, are in this occult shop. And this is somewhere that uh, J.D. specifically was going to meet someone that knew his father. And she just happens to own this occult shop. So I'm going to pick up there, and then uh, I'll read this to you. Sarah and Pete decided to spend more time looking around the occult shop to see if they could come up with any new mysteries and legends that would pique their interest. Both seemed to be completely fascinated and committing, uh, committed to finding real evidence of the oddities of this world. Sandra, Sarah interrupted as she was going through uh, an order list of, for uh, needed items, 
Do you have a second to talk shop with me? You know, about all this, she said, motioning around the store. Sure, honey, what questions do you have? How much faith do you put in all this stuff? I mean, does any of this voodoo or other type of stuff really ever work? The shop was filled with things she didn't understand, like magic charms, jars filled with dirt, blessed dream catchers, and sage. It all depends on the circumstances and who is involved, you see. If you don't believe in the magic, then the magic won't work for you. But sometimes all you need is a little faith, and that goes a long way. Sandra looked at her new friend curiously. Are you struggling with your own beliefs, Sarah? Oh, I don't know. I've always been skeptical and never very religious, but this trip, I've seen a couple of things that I can't explain, and I feel drawn to it. You don't have to be religious to believe in something. Some people believe in fate, and some don't. But if you believe even a little, it could change your life. Maybe fate had in store for you to be on this trip so you could explore your own world. To explore the mysteries of the world around us. Maybe if you believe a little, you'll find your own path in life. Find what your heart longs for. I'm not really talking about God, or maybe I am. I don't know. Maybe I'm looking for my own philosophy, but I'm confused because I've seen things, weird things. Like what? Oh, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. Sandra gave her a look as if to say, try me, as she rolled her eyes and looked around the store. Sarah laughed nervously and took her point. I guess it can't hurt. The worst thing that could happen is you might think I'm crazy. Hell, I already think I'm crazy. Sarah told her the crazy circumstances how she met J.D. and Pete. She told about the hotel room in Michigan and seeing a real ghost, not an orb, not an apparition, but a full-body ghost that talked to them and read to them. Then we stopped at a hotel in some small town in Kentucky. Me and that silly bastard over there, she said, nodding toward Pete, who was sniffing at some powder and then sniffing his shirt curiously. We were in the woods behind the hotel, and out of nowhere, this hulking, hairy beast stood up and walked away from us. Now, I'm one of those people who claim to have seen Bigfoot. If I had the nerve to humiliate myself publicly, she said, a bit worried that she already sounded like a certified wacko. There's nothing crazy about it. Do you know that the legend of Bigfoot, Sasquatch, the Swamp Beast, whatever you want to call him, has been part of Native American lore since long before this country was ever colonized? Teddy Roosevelt even claimed to have seen one when he was hunting. The Teddy Roosevelt? The president? The very same one. Jimmy Carter claimed to have seen a UFO, Sandra added. So if you are adding one more story to the list, then consider yourself in good company. Do you believe in ghosts? Of course, the city's full of them. And as far as the one you saw back in Michigan, let me guess. You guys stayed at Rick Calvin's place, the landmark inn? Sarah nodded. Well, there is a room on the fifth floor called the Lilac Room that's haunted by the ghost of a librarian. I met her, too. She was reading The Taming of the Shrew to me. What did she read to you guys? Macbeth. As far as all this stuff you see in the shop, you can believe whatever you choose to. <clears throat> For example, take this simple doll. A voodoo doll? That's right. Now, if you take this, she said, handing it to Sarah along with a needle. If you want to play a joke on your friend over there, you can softly poke this doll in the ass and see what happens. Sarah looked over at Pete to make sure he wasn't watching, and she gently poked the doll on its rump. Nothing happened. I guess I don't believe enough, she said sadly. Don't give up on believing that easily. Now go over there and pull out a hair from his head and bring it to me, she said, trying not to laugh. 
She didn't hesitate. Sarah walked up behind Pete quietly. Pete, don't move a muscle, she said. He started to turn around to see what the hell she was talking about, but she grabbed his arm firmly. Pete, there is a huge spider on the back of your head. I don't know what kind of bugs are poisonous down here, so hold still. Damn it, he yelped. Hurry up and get it off me. I hate spiders, he said as he struggled not to fidget nervously. Don't move. Don't move. Got it, she said as she pulled a dozen or so hairs from his head. Crap, Sarah, that hurt, he said, rubbing the back where she latched on. Let me see the spider. Oh, oops, I must have dropped it, she giggled and walked away, leaving him standing by the books about astral projection with a mixed look of fear and panic. Here you go, pick one, Sarah said, laughing. Sandra took a long strand of Pete's hair and tied it around the neck of the doll. When you take something personal and give it to the doll, now you have power. But remember, if you want to get rid of the power, take the personal item away from the doll. And never abuse the magic. Never. If you do, then eventually the magic will abuse you. You don't want that kind of negative energy against you. Trust me. Pete was engrossed in a book about astral projection when Sandra poked the needle in the doll's ass. Pete spewed out a string of curse words loud enough to wake the dead. Sandra softly laughed as Sarah looked on in total amusement. Oh my God, that's good stuff. Can I see if it works for me? Sure, give it a try, but remember, be gentle. Sarah gave the doll a gentle poke, and Pete cursed again and rubbed his ass, looking around behind him. Son of a bitch. Pete grabbed his ass again and walked over to Sarah, holding his backside in his hand. She quickly hid the doll behind her back. Are you sure you got that spider? I think it bit me on the ass or something. To keep from laughing, Sandra grabbed Sarah by the arm and led both of them out the front door. Come on, you two, she said. Let me show you to your rooms before I close up for the night. Can I borrow this, Sarah whispered. His snoring sounds like a passel of pigs fighting over a hot dog. Anyway, that's a little sample from Pot of Gold. Um, very funny book. All kinds of like funny paranormal stuff. I spoof stuff, but I, but I bring up a lot of interesting points in there, too. So it's like a comedy about a philosophical journey. About a guy trying to find himself, and then it turns out all three are kind of on that journey where you lose yourself and you find yourself, you know, and your spiritual and your emotional and mental capacities. So, uh, fun book. It's called Pot of Gold. Uh, it's on Amazon.com. You can find it on Kindle. You can find it in paperback. Uh, it's only, I think, like ten ninety five or something, twelve ninety five. It's not much. I mean, you're not breaking the bank if you go out and buy this book. And uh, if you do, I hope you do, um, it'll help me keep my, you know, show on the air. Actually, you know, it's uh, always kind of joke around with people. Hey, it's the free show. So if you want to do me a solid, go uh, go pick up one of my books and uh, we'll call it even. All right. So I think for every book I sell, I might get 250. So if I sell about, you know, five, six, seven books a month, that pays for the cost of the the hosting or anyway, because the hosting on Podbean is, is like, I don't know, like 14, 15 a month for what I do. So it a little bit helps. I certainly appreciate everybody that listens to it. And I certainly appreciate everybody that picks up one of my books and reads them. And it's nice enough to go to Amazon and leave a comment and a ranking. You have to tune back in. I'll have some more weird stuff coming up on one of my next episodes. Hey, I do have a couple of guests I'm going to announce. Actually, I spoke with a friend of mine earlier, Jane Bunker. She's a listener of the show. She also has a new website up. 
I think it's just uh, janeyvonbunker.com. And uh, you can find her on uh, Facebook. And I think that uh, she runs a, a spiritual page on there as well. She's going to come on. She has a new website, um, some courses that she's going to be teaching to talk about, and a new set of cards that she's developing for people uh, to use. And does private readings and public readings on Facebook sometimes. Um, and uh, she, she'll be on at some point. Also coming up, uh, we're going to have Ken Dodge. Uh, sometime next week, uh, we, we're going to be talking. Uh, you're like, who? Listen, man, if you're a friend of rock and roll, if you're a fan, a friend, passionate about your music, Ken Dodge is somebody you want to listen to talk. Uh, Ken not only is an actor and a musician, he's also a Gene Simmons impersonator. And yes, he was a techie on the road with Kiss when they reunited in the 90s. We're going to get some stories of backstage stuff, what happened on the road, uh, and we're going to talk all things rock and roll, and we're going to have a great freaking time doing it. So, KISS fans, KISS Army, unite. we got one of your own giving us some inside scoop. And that's a big deal after the KISS history, KISS history that was on A&E uh, the last couple of nights. That was an awesome documentary. I learned a lot watching it. Ken lived it. So we're going to talk about that, too. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Gonzo Chronicles. I'll be back soon. I appreciate each and every one of you. Take care, and I'll see you on down the road.